Welcome to Eczema Out Loud from the National Eczema Association. I'm Danny Morsehead. Joining me today is Casey Jenkins. Casey is an eczema parent and an educator. She's here to share her experiences sending her child with eczema to school and offer fellow eczema parents and caregivers tips on how to best set up their child for success. Casey, can you introduce yourself, tell us about your family, and share a little bit about your eczema journey? My name is Casey Jenkins. I am the mother to two girls, Chase and Natalie, and I'm married to Craig. I'm a special education coordinator in Texas. Okay, so eczema journey. Chase was my first experience with eczema. My older daughter, um, we never had any skin issues. And so she presented at infancy, I would say probably around six to eight months, maybe. And I just had no clue what I was looking at. And so naturally, you know, you just take them to the pediatrician. And honestly, the pediatrician said, I think she has ringworm. Um, And I was thinking, okay, I mean, she she doesn't go to daycare. We don't have animals. Um, Just, you know, really kind of confused by that diagnosis. Um, And we were given a tube (laughs) of some sort of cream. And reading on the label, like it even said, like, do not (laughs) apply to anyone under the age of 18. And I was like putting this on my eight month old and I'm like, what am I doing? Um, and then her skin just got, I would say progressively worse from there. Um, it did take till she was probably from, from about that eight months, um, fast forward to about 18 months. And it was the very, I guess what you would call obvious looking hot spots, you know, knees, elbow creases, backs of legs, Um, and we had also switched pediatricians in that time. So she, um, the new pediatrician says, oh yeah, she's got eczema. Here you go. You know, here's your standard, um, starting dose of, of a topical steroid and, you know, apply for your seven to 10 days and it'll get better. And it did. And then when we stopped, it got worse. Um, and it just got progressively worse from there. Um, until we found another treatment option right before, maybe right before she turned three. So we went from like 18 months to like a month before she turned three and just like, like her skin was just, I I don't know any other way to call it, but destroyed. Um, You know, we had the bloody sheets. We were co-sleeping still at that point because I had to, you know, hold her hands down to keep her from clawing herself. Um, And, you know, we uh, got started on that other treatment and, you know, we're obviously there's no cure. We all know that, Um, but we are better than where we were. Um, We still have, you know, trying to track down those triggers or what made you flare this time and just trying to go through our day. But I mean, she just turned 10 a couple of weeks ago and it's still, you know, we still don't have this (laughs) down to a science yet as far as, you know, keeping her skin clear for, um, I would say, you know, a good consecutive three months. And does your older child have eczema as well? No, she, she was, Chase was my first experience with eczema, like ever at all. 
not even friends that I can recall, like even in school. Mm -hmm. We're excited to have you on the podcast because you're both a parent of a child with eczema and you are in the education world. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you talk to teachers about making special classroom considerations for your child's eczema. Have you had to do that? Can you give us specific examples? Yeah, absolutely. So Chase didn't attend daycare because I was terrified to put her in daycare with her skin the way it was. Um, I didn't know if it would get worse um, or honestly, I I really didn't know what we were dealing with. And so um, I was very fortunate enough and I recognize, you know, not everyone has that um, option, but I was fortunate enough that she could stay home with my mother um, while I went to work before she was old enough to go to pre-kindergarten at age four. And so, um, but I realized very, very quickly that once she started school, um, that, you know, the spending all night scratching and not getting, you know, a true sleep cycle, um, all of that was ultimately affecting her in that first year of school. So in, I think kids average about 183 days of instruction. She probably missed 50 to 60 days that first year of pre-K just strictly due to her skin or her food allergies or some other um, comorbid, you know, so if she developed a cold, her skin was going to flare. So I realized very quickly that I was going to have to communicate with the school that her condition was going to impact her daily living. So on the parent side of it, I knew that I had to talk to the school, but on the educator side of it, I also knew that she was covered under um, a 504 plan. So we immediately got that in place once those absences really started getting up there because I didn't want I didn't want that to be held against her, right? Because it's it's completely outside of her control um, and outside of our control. It's not just we weren't just taking her to school. Like she physically couldn't go to school. So wait, can we go back and talk about that 504 plan? What is it? How did you hear about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The 504 is going to change how they learn. um, And the IEP, which is an individualized education plan, would change the what they learn. Um, So we didn't need to modify what she was learning. It wasn't that she had a deficit in her ability to learn. It was just, how are we going to make school safe for her to access it? Um, And it it all comes down to a civil rights issue. That's what 504 is. Section 504 is a civil rights issue. It means that the school cannot discriminate against her for having this uh, condition. And they can't keep her from attending school because she has this condition. And with this plan in place, she can successfully attend school when she's provided accommodations that allow her to be successful. And so we know that schools are federally underfunded across the across the nation. I get that. Um, and so, you know, when you have parents that are asking for things that typically cost money or could deviate you know, from your child fitting in this perfectly square box, you know, the school is constantly thinking, what's that going to cost us? I had, I had to think of it from both of those perspectives, but I also, at the end of the day, 
I will advocate for my child until I have no more air left in me. And I knew that she was entitled to an education. In fact, she's entitled to a free and appropriate public education. (laughs) Um, For example, in pre-K, when all of this started, you know, there's a lot of hands-on activities, right? And they did a lot of things with like shaving cream. And that shaving cream was really, really affecting her hand eczema. Um, And so she, she still participated in those activities, but they used like a, I want to say it was like a foam, but it didn't have like a certain ingredient in it. Maybe it was the perfume or something like that that was in it, but it didn't have that component. Um, We tried that and then that didn't really work as good as we thought. And so then we moved to like, um, not latex gloves, um, like plastic gloves, I guess. Um, and she was still able to manipulate, manipulate the, the shaving cream, um, participate fully in the activity. And the really good thing about it was that it wasn't just, Oh, here, Chase, put your gloves on so that you look different from everyone else. Her teacher was phenomenal in the fact that any kid who wanted to put on some gloves got to put on the gloves. And so Chase like incidentally benefited from, you know, her teacher having these gloves in there and then letting all the kids do it. But I I always go back to that of like, she, she really had two choices there. The teacher did, and she chose, you know, to not um, make my kid the different one. And so it's little things like that. But I, I really think that's because I established that relationship with her early on. Like I explained her eczema and I explained what it does and kind of what we had gone through. Um, And, you know, I I really think human compassion just kind of took over at one point because she no longer saw me as this mom, like asking and I need you to do this and you have to do this. And the, and the federal government says you have to do this. You know, it came down to what does this little girl need to be successful at school? And if it's putting a pair of gloves on her or giving her access to, whatever it is, so that she doesn't claw her skin off, then we're going to do it. And did those decisions that you made with the teacher, were they affiliated with the 504 plan? I'm kind of curious how how that got started. Like, what does the process look like? It really will depend on your school district. But I took that to um, first the uh, campus um principal at her school. um, And they directed me to the person that handles 504 plans um, for that campus. And it was just a matter of my daughter has a chronic condition. Severity is not consistent. You know, she needs a plan in place because it impacts her daily living, which is how you would qualify for a 504 plan if you have a condition that impacts one of the areas of daily living um, or impacts your ability to access the school, you know, effectively. And then from there, do you work with the teacher or do you? Yeah. So you, you develop a committee um, and the teacher is, is generally included in that. A lot of the times it's going to be the school nurse as well. The parent, um, really anybody that has um, a, involvement with that child. There's a campus administrator that's typically involved. Um, And so together, we come up with accommodations that can mitigate um, that impact. So it changes um, 
you know, sort of as she got older, it changed, you know, it really changed when COVID hit. You're supposed to review it <laughs> at least every other year. Um, you can review it earlier than that. It really should be something that you're you're looking at annually um, and, and really making sure that, that the accommodations are still something that you, you know, are routinely and effectively used to make sure that they're still relevant. And then the copy of that plan goes to all of her teachers. Her 504 coordinator would be the one to sort of make sure that that gets that information gets disseminated. So how do you find out about what activities are happening at school that are potentially impacting your child's eczema? Obviously, things like library and technology, um, those aren't necessarily going to really impact anything. It's more so the PEs. You know, you can you can always ask. Um, at meet the teacher or like back to school events, like, hey, can I get a list of, you know, the the activity schedule or the different activities that the kids go to every week? I was talking to a mom the other day. She wanted her, her daughter to have the option of an indoor recess if it got above 85 degrees. I think that's a phenomenal accommodation because we know what heat does to our kid. Again, that goes back to your relationship with that teacher um, hey, what's the activity schedule? We did have to go back to the gloves at one point for art because for one lesson for about four or five weeks, they were using like some sort of clay. I guess maybe some of the dye or something in it turned her hands blotchy and she says they were itchy. Um, they felt like warm to the touch, but so we just did gloves after that. And I do think too, she's at the age now that she She's heard me talk about it for so long that she advocates for herself. Who's going to argue with a little kid that's saying her hands are burning? You know? um, and so I, I would probably say art and PE have been our, our areas of concern, but, but we've figured out so far, knock on wood, we figured out ways to, to work around it. What are some of the PE accommodations that you are making. I know there are a lot of parents out there that probably have similar sentiments for their children. The heat and the sweat is a common trigger. So, yeah. So she gets um, frequent breaks. Um, she gets access, which again, post uh, there's, there's always pre COVID and post COVID pre COVID. She had um, access to a water bottle at all times. And so, um, and she had access to, um, it, it was almost like a, like a cooling rag, I guess, um, that she could uh, wet before the PE activity, especially like right when school started back when it was a lot hotter. Um, and she could put that around her neck before going into the PE class. Um, instead of doing the outdoor mile, um, she was allowed to, to walk it in the gym. She had the opportunity to opt out. It, it usually ended or usually started with me notifying them like, hey, she's in a flare or um, so she will. Um, I'm, I'm opting her out of this week's activities or please give her an alternate activity. And we had maybe established what those alternates were. It's very similar to like when a kid breaks their leg or arm or something and they can't participate. It, it's almost the, the same thing. And that worked out well for us. How has doing alternate activities and changing the things she's doing versus what her fellow classmates are doing affected your daughter mentally? Um, she hasn't shared that it affected it affected her mentally. Um, 
I don't know, maybe if she was more competitive, she, she doesn't have a very competitive spirit, but she kind of enjoys like, it's almost like in her mind, it's like special treatment. <laughs> she loves that. <laughs> you know, like while the other kids are, are sweating and like dying for water, she's like, I'll be right back. You know, so yeah. I know it sounds very pretentious, but she's still very lovely about it and very humble. But she, um, she has not directly expressed that, that it bothers her in, in any way. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And she gets to wear the fancy gloves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course, when she had them, everyone's like, well, I want some. And so, you know, um, so of course that made her feel like, oh yeah, everyone wants to be like me. <laughs> yeah. She gets to feel special in her own way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so were there any other items that you sent to school with her or that you still send to school with her that helps her manage her eczema in class? Yeah. So, um, Obviously, post-COVID, um, when everyone was sanitizing, um, I don't know if you've been <laughs> into a school recently, but the sanitizer, this commercial-based sanitizer is basically just rubbing alcohol with jelly in it. Um, and that was the last thing she needed to be applying every time she walked through a doorway. Um, and so we did have to update her plan. Um, so, like, she got mask breaks. Um, so that she wouldn't have to wear the mask all day. The alcohol-based sanitizer, she was provided an alcohol-free sanitizer. We sent a, uh, she had like a, a little fanny pack. And in that fanny pack, it had her um, hand wash, her, a, another smaller bottle of that um, alcohol-free sanitizer and lotion so that she could, um, washed with her specific hand soap and then apply lo her lotion afterwards so that her hands again didn't dry out even more wa from washing so much really up until last year I would say um she's kind of she's kind of relaxed a little bit on taking that fanny pack now you know she's too cool for that she's fifth grade thank you for covering that yeah all right my last couple questions for you do you have any other advice for other parents who are just starting this journey with their child with eczema? Any advice for them as their kids enter school and maybe as they progress through school? Oh gosh, that's a hard one. Um, it's going to be hard like letting your child go to school anyway. I mean, sending your baby off to school, right? How, how do our kids get this big that it's time for them to go to school? So you're already dealing with the emotions of that. And then you also have to send your child into this big building with people they don't know and their skin might look um, scary. I'm just going to use that word. You know, it's intimidating to adults. It can be anxiety driven for, for your own child, right? I'm getting ready to start school and I've never been here before. And then I go into a flare. It's you're going to struggle, but you also have to reach out to your network. Your network is going to get you through this. So whether your network is Nia or whether your network is a group of other moms or a Mother's Day Out program or um, maybe the daycare that your child just left from, you've got to get through the emotions of everything so that you're not making emotion-based decisions. So if you do get to the point where you think, I'm going to need some help to get my kid through this school year. You're, you're coming at it from a very factual based place of reasoning. You're, you're not asking for outlandish things. You know what your child needs to be successful. And so you go in from a place of 
confidence and not from a place of just sheer terror. Um, because unfortunately not all school districts are going to be open to supporting your child, whether or not they have to legally or not. It's just not the way the public school system is set up. Unfortunately, you do have to know what your child needs to be successful and you have to communicate that effectively. And you have to communicate that from a point of it's not you against them. You're bringing them into your circle because you want them to know what your child needs and you want them on your team. Um, and so, you know, going in with, have you noticed, or these are things that we do at home. Please share with me, you know, how she, you know, responded when, when you did this activity, any of those things. Um, you could also bring the counselor into it early on, the school counselor, and just say, hey, you know, can you just touch base with, with my kiddo um, these first couple weeks? I just want to see how she's doing. I keep referencing she. I know there's a lot of boys out there, but <laughs> I'm a mom to girls. Because I think the, the biggest thing is that we're, we're automatically so defensive and rightfully so, right? Because we've had to argue and argue and argue just to get someone to listen to us. Typically, when, we, when we're at the point we are with our kids' skin. And so it's just a very natural um, stance for us to take of like, just to be on the defense. And like, you're not listening. Or I know what she needs. And, and I'll tell you what she needs. Instead of making it more a team-based approach. Um, and, and letting those educational professionals also give their feedback as to what they've observed, right? Because you haven't necessarily observed your child in a school setting. It, it's also scenario-based, but just as much as you know about your kid, by the end of that school year, that school knows about your child too. Um, and so it, it's really important to get their feedback as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great point. Working together, always working together. Yeah. Okay, my last question for you. If there is a best part, what is the best part of being the parent of a child with eczema? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I, I would have to say the resiliency that I think she's just naturally developed. You know, I, I kind of call her like the Rubbermaid kid. I feel like everything just bounces off of her. But then, of course, the adolescent networking group that she's developed from National Eczema Association has, has been great for us. Um, I can talk to other parents. I was about to say moms, but there's so many dads now too. You know, I can talk to other parents. I can, you know, share the information that we learn. You know, I, I hate to even give props to anything eczema, right? Because it's, it's such our enemy. Like we hate the fact that we have to deal with this, but if we have to deal with it, I wouldn't want to deal with eczema without anyone else in my circle than the people that we've that we've come in contact with through our treatment options and through Nia. Great. Yeah. It's it sounds like it's a process and having a community helps. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been a great yeah. conversation. I think it's gonna help a lot of parents out there. They're not alone. I think that's the biggest thing. Like they're they're not alone. So um, I don't want them to feel that way. Yeah, we don't either. You are not alone. Thanks so much. Thanks, Danny. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Eczema Out Loud. 
you can visit the National Eczema Association at www.nationaleczema.org. If you have feedback on this episode, or you'd like to send in a suggestion for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at We hope you'll join us next time.